Imagine a world where men stepped up and answered God's call to reach their full potential. Imagine a world where men put their faith and trust in God unwaveringly and without qualification. Imagine a world where men lived out God's purpose for them in everything they do. It's Not My Credit to Take explores the awe and wonder of how God shows up in the lives of strong, principled Christian men from all walks of life. Get ready to laugh, to cry, and to be transformed. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Slover, faithful husband, loving father, loyal friend, and unapologetically Christian. Welcome to the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. Sam Bradford, how are you, sir? Oh, wonderful. The beard's coming in nice. Look at that. (laughs) (laughs) My mustache has gotten so long that I have to pull it to the sides. It's not for fashion. It's for practicality. <laughs> it's it's looking good. I can't help but I've got the snow cone going on at the end, the tip mm. of my goatee right here. I don't know how that how that happened. But, uh, my guest today is Sam Bradford. Sam began his mentoring journey as a youth pastor, serving his community for more than twelve years. A change of heart occurred seven years ago for him after listening to a podcast about Dutch Bros Coffee, where the founder Travis Bearsma, I probably butchered that one, uh, spoke about the company's culture of love. It was then that Sam joined Dutch Bros Arizona with the ambition and intent to help people grow. Seven months after being hired as a broista, he was appointed director of people management, where he created and offered curriculum to teach team members classes on goal setting, self-leadership, and personal finance. Sam has had the privilege of speaking at events such as TEDx, the Arizona Diamondbacks Leadership Initiative, Grand Canyon University's Next Level Leadership Conference, the RTA Fleet Success Summit, and most recently to the Elite Entrepreneurs Momentum Live event. Sam has a true passion for speaking, coaching, and leading people to improve their lives as well as the lives of those around uh, around them. He's been married to his wife, Chelsea, for 14 years, and they have a 20-month-old daughter. Sam Bradford, thank you so much for taking time to be on the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. Yeah, it's a it's a pleasure, and I'm really excited just to be here with you, Ed. Yeah, I was reflecting on this conversation, and one of the first things that popped in my head was, how long have we known one another? Because it seems like we've known each other a, a lot longer than it's actually been. It's only been about a year where we met at Grand Canyon University's Next Level Leadership Conference. Uh, I, I remember you sitting in in the room, and then we bumped into one another uh, later on before you before you gave a talk. As it does, it feel like that for you? Like we've just kind of kindred spirits. We've known one another uh, for a really long time. Absolutely. Uh, I just remember sitting in your your session and just being so moved by your vulnerability and your story. And I still to this day use the tomato analogy of of uh, just resilience. And it's just been just incredible. Yeah. For, for the listeners, I, I spoke about resilience. And one of the things that we like to think is that we're like tennis balls, where whenever we face struggle and adversity, we simply bounce back and we bounce back to the way we normally were or what was normal. And the reality is we're much more like tomatoes, where if you imagine being out in your front yard, holding a tomato and giving that a good hard squeeze, it makes an absolute mess. But the seeds on the ground give the opportunity for 
you know, new growth or renewed growth and development, and we're never fully the same. So, uh, I'm, I'm not, Sam, I'm not entirely sure who I stole that from, but it, I guarantee I stole it from somebody. I mean, there's rarely, uh, you know, a good idea too good not to steal. Yeah. <laughs> so subsequent to that, I've heard, I've heard you speak publicly and you're not shy about sharing your story of childhood trauma. Can you share your story here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, well, I, yeah, I'm like trying to figure out where to start. I guess we'll start as early on as I can. Is that my parents split up when I was really young um, and my mom dated for a while. And like my first traumatizing experience that I remember was being, I think I was four. I was at a park. My mom uh, was dating this guy that we barely knew and it was time to leave. Uh, and just like any kid, I was having a good time and didn't want to go. And the more that she would say, hey, we need to go, I would just keep running and saying no. Um, well, this gentleman decided to grab me. He grabbed me, he flipped me upside down and held me by my ankles and started just to swat me. Um, and I was just completely terrified because I was he was a stranger. I didn't know who he, I didn't really know him. Um, and I just immediately remember screaming and being like asking for my mom. And in that moment, he just would not let go. He just basically bear hugged me and wouldn't let me move. Um, and it was terrifying. Uh, I remember being so frustrated at him that even at four years old, when we went back to his house in the in the vehicle and my mom and my siblings went inside, I refused to go inside. I was like, this is not a person I want to be around. Um, so so that was just kind of my introduction to trauma. Uh, and then my mom and my stepdad, I would probably describe their relationship like fire and gasoline. Like they, they were two sweet people and, and kind people, but they just had such hard relationship things in their life and such hard past that when they came together, it was just explosive. Um, and we were young and we were, my siblings and I were just kids and, and we were the casualties of most of their, their fighting. And, I would sum up the majority of my childhood in this cycle that took place that would be, I did something to break a rule. And then my, my, my stepdad would say, okay, I'm going to SWAT you. And, and like his SWATs were intense and, and he had made his own paddle and, and kind of created this, this disciplinary uh, system of his, and it was tough. Um, and so what would happen is, is my mom would, start to get emotional and then she would try to jump in and rescue me um and in doing so it would start an argument between them um and the argument would go on and on and on and it would be very intense and it would last for a long time and there was many moments as a kid where i would try to jump in and stop it um i don't like i don't like fighting i don't like i don't like it when people can't get along and so i would try to stop it and i couldn't and it would sometimes make it worse I would eventually get told to go to my room and wait and I would wait and I would hear them screaming and I would hear them things breaking. And I would hear, I would just know that when all that got done, that it was my turn and that he was going to come upstairs and that he was going to just take it out on me. He was going to discipline me in a really harsh manner. Um, 
And, and that would happen probably twice a week um, throughout my childhood. And it was intense. It was very um, hard to, to deal with. It was hard to live around. There were moments where I wanted to give up, moments where I wanted to quit. Um, that it, it intensified, right? As I got older, it intensified because I started going to school and I had a learning disability, um, go figure. And I, I honestly, like having taken Psych 101, I learned about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and and it just made so much sense. It kind of clicked that I was like, oh yeah, like all this stuff at home was so intense and scary that it like, it made me feel like I just didn't want to learn at all. And I didn't, learning for me wasn't even important. Uh, surviving was important. And so that coupled with the learning disability, school was just not my place. It was not a place where I went to learn and grow. It was a place where I went to have fun and goof off. And that made it worse because when I would bring home those report cards or worse, when I would destroy the report card and pretend like the dog ate it or figure out a way that I couldn't show my parents that it would always come back to like, you're lying and now you're going to get swats. And, and there was always a discipline attached to it. Um, there was a moment in junior high where I had a teacher, uh, uh, he was, he was a, a PE teacher and we were doing this thing that I was just totally not on board with. And, and so I just told him, I said, I'm not going to participate. And he was like, well, if you don't participate, then you're going to get a bad grade and whatever. I said, That's fine. I'm not going to participate. Well, what had happened is, is that a kid in the class had said a cuss word and, and he looked at me, just immediately looked at me and said, don't say that again, or I'm going to, I'm going to write you up. And I was like, Hey, I didn't say anything. And for whatever reason, it happened again. And he wrote me up and I being the, the person I was, I was like, I'm not signing that. Like I didn't, I didn't cuss and I'm not signing that. It just escalated. It escalated to the point where I ended up in the principal's office and my parents ended up in the principal's office. And this man knew my parents and it just was gnarly. Like I just remember him telling my parents what happened, me disagreeing, my stepdad looking at me and being like, you're a liar. Like you're lying. This man is, has integrity. Like why would he lie? Um, and then my mom just trying to defend me and them starting to argue. And it was such a moment, Ed, where it got so intense that I knew that like when they left that office, that they were going to go home and it was going to go down. And I was like sick to my stomach because I was so afraid of it escalating to the point where my mom would get hurt. Thank God it never did. But I also was in this place of like, I knew that it was going to be super crazy when they went home. But then I knew that when I got out of school and when I went home, it was going to be even more crazy. And it was just those moments where I went, I just wanted to give up. I was like, I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to, this is so hard. And I wish I could say that it like ended when I got old enough to not get SWATs, but it, it continued. It continued to the point of grounding of just really intense grounding. And in a way it felt like there was times where my stepdad would set, set up scenarios where he knew I would choose the wrong thing and then let me fall into that and then discipline me harshly. And so it was just a really, really, really difficult childhood. And, and I, I mean, I started doing drugs in drinking alcohol in sixth grade. Um, 
I, it's crazy now when I see sixth graders to like see them and go, whoa, why in the world was I that age and just starting to like experiment with alcohol and drugs, um, knowing that like when I hit my freshman year of high school, I was experimenting with meth and, and drinking bottles of Robitussin because I was just so overwhelmed and frustrated with my life that I was like, I need an escape. I need to get away from all of this. And so that, that was a, it was a lot. It was very, very overwhelming. It's amazing that you have arrived at a place in your life or the place in your life based on the past. I mean, you're the director of people development at Dutch bros. You by any measurable standard, that's success. And then you've, you've got a, a growing coaching and, and, and speaking career. So somewhere along the way, you've, you found Jesus or can you walk us through, you know, how, um, or what brought you to Christ? Yeah, <clears throat> this one's, this one's a little bit, a little bit tough. And I, I mean, like part of, part of that childhood uh, that I didn't touch on is that my stepdad and my mom were heavily involved in church. Mm. And so like, that's part of my story as well is like watching my stepdad and my mom be worship leaders um, for the good majority of, of, of that time that was going on. And then uh, when I was in high school, my stepdad became a pastor of a church. um, And I still had a lot of really heavy struggles with him. So, I would say that I, I am, I'm still in this place of experiencing Jesus and trying to like, trying to learn who Jesus truly is. And like, just having, I'm unlearning a lot of things that I learned as a child that were like, you know, very religious on one hand, and then very like hurtful and hard on the other hand. And it's like, I, I'm still, I, I, I was going to, I want to talk about this because it, it was super helpful for me in my journey. There's a book by this lady named KJ Ramsey uh, called The Lord is My Courage. And it has just been really helpful and really uh, just encouraging to, to experience, like have somebody else walk through church hurt and church pain and, and kind of like some breaking out some misconceptions of things. So I don't know if I know Jesus. I think I'm in the process of knowing Jesus. And like, I, I I don't, it's just one of those things where I'm like, I'm leaning into it, but it's, there's a lot of hurt there. And there's a lot of like misconceptions and things that have been really challenging for me. Why, why are you motivated to, to know Jesus, especially considering that your mom and stepdad were, actively involved in the church. He became a pastor and yet you had the home life you had. I don't know, Sam, how I would react to that. My guess is that I would move as far away from anything church or related or you know, spirituality or religion. What, what is it, what is it in you that is sort of still drawing you towards Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing is, is that like, I've always just had a really tender heart and I I always just really like love people. And 
that like when we drill down to Jesus at his core, he loved people. I was talking to my mom about it the other day. We kind of sat through a service where the person was being a church service where the person was being loud and angry and kind of beating their fists and yelling. And, and we were talking about it. And I just said, I don't ever like see Jesus that way. The only times that I do see him that way are when he's upset at the religious people, you know, like I don't see him responding to sinners like that. And I think that that's been something that's kind of held me close and, and continues to like the moments where I'm confused or frustrated I'm just trying to realize that like what I don't like about religious stuff isn't the Jesus in it. It's this stuff that people have put on it that like if I always come back to looking at him and the way he treated people, the way he showed up for people, that's how I want to live and that's how I want to exist. And the things that people have done in his name have been a massive turnoff and massive and have been so hurtful. And so I think, I think the reality is, is just like I, when I see that the way that Jesus lived, it was attractive and it's still attractive. And so I just have to like, I have to see and separate those things. And when I start to feel religion getting a little sideways, I have to separate those things for myself to be able to stay close. Yeah. How is your relationship with your stepdad today? Yeah. Man, so last year we sat down and had a really, really hard conversation um, because in my family, the way that it worked was like we were going to church every time the doors were open. And yet I was not allowed to listen to country music because it was like non-Christian and anything that was non-Christian could lead you away from from Jesus. And so there was this massive like dichotomy and then there was also on top of that there was just this like yeah i want to come back to the question how how's my relationship with my stepdad so during all the stuff that we were going through we never talked about it we never had moments where afterwards we we would sit down and say hey that was terrible what happened i'm so sorry um there was literally just a shoving under the rug and so Last year, I sat down with my stepdad, accompanied by my sister and my brother, and really just said, we need to talk about the abuse. We need to talk about all the things that happened because I'm, I'm working through my, my faith. I'm working through where I land with the Lord, and I need you to know where I'm at and why, I'm, why I am where I am. But I also... Oh man, I'm going to reference a movie and I have to preface it by saying the movie's rough. Um, but the, the, the impact it made on me was, was astounding. Uh, it's a movie by a director, Zach Braff. Um, and it's called wish I was here. And it is a movie about, uh, a son who has an overbearing father who's critical of him, who's constantly judging him. And he's in his mid, like midlife. He's married, he has kids, and he's kind of failing at his life. And his dad is just constantly critical of him. And um, there's a moment midway through the film where his dad gets uh, diagnosed with cancer and, and is terminally ill. And, and in the film, you kind of realize that his younger brother has completely written his dad off and has, doesn't want anything to do with him. 
um, I'm going to give a spoiler spoiler alert. But what happened was, is when we when when my wife said, "Hey, let's go watch this movie," we went to the theater, and I had no idea what was. I didn't know what the film was about. And we're in the theater, and we're watching it. And like it gets to the point, the movie escalates. the The mom has passed away. She's been out of the picture for a while. And there's just this moment where the dad is, they know he's going to pass. And and the older brother calls the younger brother and he says, hey, like, you need to come. Like, dad's going to die and you need to see him. And like at the end of the movie, like the the older brother is at his dad's bedside. He brought his dad's favorite ice cream bars and like. The younger brother walks into the room and the dad just looks at his boys and he's like, I'm so proud of you boys. And like they hold hands and it like and it like I was crying like this in the movie. And then when it ended, I like walked out and I was like pretty much sobbing. And then I got into the truck and it just like washed over me and I just could not stop crying. And, and there was a heavy moment where my wife was with me. We're in this little teeny truck where I just started punching the steering wheel and just like screaming and just like letting everything come out. And she was like, are you okay? And I was like, why did this have to happen to me? Like, why did my child have to hurt so bad? Like if my dad never would have left, then this never would have happened. And it was so heavy. But what I walked away with from that film was like, I have to know that like, if this relationship is mendable that I tried, like, I don't want to get to the end of my life and have this like moment of like, should I have tried to like mend it? And so at that point, I just realized like, I need to try to connect with him. And so I did. Um, We had a really beautiful moment. Uh, I told him about everything that happened. I reminded him of everything that happened. And I sobbed. And he he cried. He told me about things that I didn't realize happened to him as a kid. There was a lot of healing on that day. Um, and I also know that there's a lot of healing that still needs to take place. And it's hard because of his personality and my personality. I would say we're a lot closer, but I still think it's really tough. And And I don't want to give like false hope of like, oh, it's perfect. But I think we're two people that can work on ourselves and we're, we're getting, we're working on our relationship. Yeah. Ties to the adage, hurt people, hurt people. Yes. Which is one of the things that I am, am and have been impressed by you because how you've lived your life, living by your values, you haven't perpetuated the cycle with your wife and daughter. And it's really, it's, it's really impressive. It, it certainly doesn't justify your stepdad's behavior. It helps explain his behavior, but you've right. gone, you've, you've gone the, the other way. And I'm sure, I, I'm, I'm sure throughout your, your marriage, you've gone through ups and downs. I mean, the, the, the roller coaster in marriage, that that's when we're doing marriage well. We just, yeah. you know, we hope it, it, it doesn't flatline. And 
so the, switching gears a little bit because you have such a love for people and I'm positive you apply, you know, that's your wife and your daughter and certainly the people that you work with. Do you, do you have a willingness to discuss your, your faith in the workplace? And if so, what would that sound like? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it comes back to just the way that I'm processing things. Like, I think like for me, my faith in the workplace looks like loving people well and like, and, and just really trying to, to exemplify that Jesus, that, that Jesus that like accepted people, loved people was welcoming. Um, I, I, I fear, you know, being overly critical and, and all those things that were going on with me. And so it's neat, like working in the environment that I work in, there are a lot of believers and I, I think that that's something that I really just try to exemplify the love of Christ and, and how that shows up um, for people. And, and also this level of honesty, right? Like I, I am, I am working through things, like I said before. And I, I think that like, I think that's just real. And I think that like young people need to know that it's not all pretty and buttoned up all the time that there's moments where I'm still unsure and I'm still figuring it out and I'm still wrestling. And I don't know for sure all the things that I was so sure of at one point, but um, yeah, that, that for me is just a place where I just want to like, I know it was said before, but I don't remember who said it, but they said, you know, preach the gospel and when necessary use words. Um, I think that there's so many times that the, the church has done a poor job of preaching the gospel with words, but then not living it well uh, and, and, and just being awful, you know, and I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of, of I want people to ask me why I want to live the way I want to live and, and be able to share that with them as opposed to cramming it down their throat and then and then having moral failures and and treating people poorly. So. I, I always want to try to live it out. One of the things I, I talk to my students about is that in secular businesses, we very much have to be bartenders. When bartenders mm. are trained to not talk about sex, politics, or religion, especially when someone's getting <laughs> you know, lit up on the other side of the counter. Yeah. That said, one of the things I offer to them is if you get the question, answer the question. If someone yeah. asks you about your faith, answer honestly, because yep. in response to the question that by definition, you, you're not cramming it down anyone else's throat. You're not you know, thumping right. on, on the Bible. Is that the approach that you take in, you know, in the, in the workplace? Yes. Yes. I think that's a brilliant way to put it, Ed, that I've never thought of it that way, but it makes so much sense of like live in such a way that people are curious. And when they're curious, it gives you an open door to, to, to answer that question. Um, that to me is so much more inviting. Um, yeah, it just, I mean, that was, that was the problem. One of the problems in my childhood was that I was constantly getting answers to questions I didn't ask. And, and that's such a turnoff, you know? And so I think, I think that that, that mindset is really incredible of like live in such a way that people ask questions and when they do be open and share with them. Yeah. Last fall I had about a half a dozen young men come up to me separately after class, you know, mustering the courage to come up and ask, 
what does it mean to be a man? Mm. And the first one, I wasn't entirely sure how to respond because I, I was so taken aback by the question because we grew up in a time, and I'm a little bit older than you, grew up in a time where it, it was it was seemingly obvious what it meant to be a man, you know, protector, provider. Mm. And I, I, I get that it's, it, it's, it's shifted. There's always shifts in culture, but there yeah. today appears to be a significant need for men, definitely young men to build stronger character. And mm-hmm. knowing that this podcast is, is really all about, you know, talking to strong principled Christian men to provide hopefully some type of inspiration that will get these men to show up differently in the world and step up and answer God's call of the potential. I'm curious to learn from, from you as a strong principled Christian man, how do we go about helping them better? Yeah. Um, I, I keep coming back to just like living, living by example. Um, that's like the best way that I, that I can do it is just to show them like, look, you can be uh, a strong husband, a strong father. Um, and you don't have to fall into these traps that exist and you don't have to like, yeah, you don't have to treat people the way that you've been treated. You don't have to go through these things. I, I think that they just need examples. And I and that was the hard thing for me as a kid is my examples were so broken. You know, it was like, you can't listen to country music, but I'm going to scream and yell at you and, and take like violence against you. Um, those things are super confusing. And so I think I think the best way that we can we can help them is just to show them congruency in our own life of like, look, and when we do make mistakes, because I make mistakes like you were referring to earlier as a husband, I haven't been perfect, but I, I'm the first one to admit when I make a mistake, I'm like, hey, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. And I will work on being better. Um, those those things for me, I think, go so much further than standing back and saying, you guys need to be more like this and less like that. I, I constantly, I mean, it's a cycle that takes place in generations where, and I, I'm, I'm a part of the cycle too, because now the new music out, I hate it, right? Like the new stuff that's coming out, I'm like, oh, this music sucks. And I can't believe these kids listen to that. Every, every generation is going to get used to their way of doing things. And then they're going to constantly look at the next generation and think they're a bunch of screw ups. But I think, and that's something that I've seen at Dutch Bros. It's been so incredible is that like people will rise to the level that you, that you believe in them and that you like, I've watched young people just be incredible. And I, and I always talk about it whenever I speak, I'm like, we could go to all these different fast food restaurants and talk to them about how hard it is to find good young people. And the reality is they would tell us that they don't exist. And I think as a, as a young, as a, as a person that's like working with young people, I think believing in them, being a good guide and showing them what it looks like and, and like being there to, to like you said, like when people approach you just to walk them through it. I want to get your thoughts on this idea one of the questions I wanted to ask you was what do you attribute the listlessness and aimlessness of young men in this country to? And I think you, I think you answered it, but I don't want to, I don't want to put words in your mouth. 
Sure. Asking, asking more from them rather than less for whatever yeah. reason we, we don't, I don't believe we ask enough of men in general, but young men specifically does, did I capture your sentiment right on that? So set, set the bar higher, level up the expectation, ask more from young men rather than less. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, and then the way that we, we, the way we think about them and the way that we speak about them, um, when we speak about them, like, oh, they're lazy and they don't, they don't want to do this and they don't want to do that. I, I think we're just not giving them a fair shake. I think it's, it's really just like, I don't know. I, it's, it comes through relationship and it comes through, I mean, what I'm learning more and more of is just like, I need to listen instead of like telling them all the things I need to just tell, like ask them really phenomenal questions of like, Hey, what, what things are you dealing with? What things are you facing? How, how can I support you in this journey? It, it just seems to be that the older generation always wants to tell the younger generation what, how it's supposed to be. And I, I just want to be more of one that's listening and open and saying, hey, I have advice to offer, but I'd love to hear your perspective on it. But what I've seen at Dutch, and that's exactly what you said, is that like when we believe in them and when we set the bar high, they will meet that standard. And what I see at every other place that's that's around is that when they don't believe in them, when they set the bar low and they don't give them any responsibility or credit or anything, then they're going to like meet those. They're going to rise to that standard as well. And so I think we just need we need to connect more with them. Yeah. You referenced your marriage a few minutes ago. In, in what ways has your wife, Chelsea, made you a better man? Man, she, she has endured a lot of my, um, growth. Hmm. She's loved me unconditionally, uh, through, through hardships. I mean, it, I, I was able through some therapies, through a lot of therapy to get to this place where I realized that I had a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in my childhood, like, obviously, but like it was never appropriate to take that pain out or that frustration out where where it belonged and so i kind of just always stuffed it and then in our marriage there was pain and anger that would show up in ways that i was never like stoked on and i just remember telling her one time like you never deserved any of this um this frustration this pain i just didn't know what to do with it and so she has loved me and endured and just really like been patient with me. Um, she's just been phenomenal, uh, a huge support. And even when I decided to make that massive transition from a youth pastor to the to working at Dutch Bros, we I, I took on some huge risks of of quitting my full time job and getting hired part time as a broista. And um, I think most people would have been like, "You're crazy," but she was like, "Let's let's do it." So just being that person that's believed in me has been massive. That's wonderful to hear. M my wife is unwaveringly supportive of me stepping away from Grand Canyon and, you know, pursuing uh, my businesses. And I don't know about you, Sam, but I don't, I don't think I could make that leap if I didn't have her unwavering support. Yeah. In what ways yep. has 
becoming a father changed changed you in your walk with Christ? I mean, Presley is 20 months old, so not quite two. How, how, how's that changed your life? Man, it's, uh, it's just incredible. It's something, if we would have met when I was in junior high, I would have told you that I can't wait to be a dad. Um, <laughs> it's hilarious. I, I remember being in junior high and telling people that, and they were like, whoa, 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 slow down. Like, and I'm like, no, I'm not trying to be a dad right now, but <laughs> I just... <laughs> I mean, they, I, they took can't just, wait, literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were like, don't have a baby right now. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. Um, but I just always wanted an opportunity to, to love somebody. Um, and I just, yeah. I think it's helping me better understand the way that God feels about me. Um I think that there's these guys, Henry Cloud and John Townsend, these like Christian psychologist guys. And they, they said you can have love or you can have control, but you can't have both. Mm -hmm. um, that those things are polar opposites. And so you either love someone or you control them. Um, and my heart from the beginning, as soon as Presley was born is I can't wait to meet you. And I can't wait to learn about you. Um, I don't want to tell you who you are. I don't want to tell you all the things that you like and the things that you're going to be when you grow up. I just want to learn more about you. I want to know, I want to know you and I want to be invested in your life and I want to connect. And so in so many ways, like there's just a lot of unlearning taking place of my experiences as a, as a young man and, and the way that parental figure showed up and it was so controlling and domineering. And, and in a way I was like associating that with God of like, Oh, this is how God is. He's controlling. He's domineering. He's just going to force me to do what he wants me to do. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm learning more about God's love and, and just how unconditional it can be and, and how, how God is so willing and open to like, just to get to know, like, I mean, he knows me intimately. Um, but yeah, I just, that's, it's been such a beautiful journey with Presley and, and just like, I don't know. I mean, I know I'm going to make mistakes as a parent. Um, sometimes I feel like I swing to the other side of the pendulum where I'm like too, too lackadaisical. I'm like, Oh, it's fine. We'll figure that out later. But I, I just, um, uh, I want her to never question a day in her mind that her dad loves her and that her dad is just there for her. Um, that to me is like the, the capstone of our relationship is that she just knows that my dad is crazy about me. Well, for what it's worth, being the father of two daughters, very different age ranges uh, from from Presley. <laughs> you know, jo Jocelyn's 15 and Evelyn turns 13 tomorrow i can i can tell you that mm -hmm. all of the investment that you're making in her life now and will continue making even when they disappear on you and don't want anything to do with you when they're teenagers they they find their way back and yeah. so for example just a quick story i traveled last weekend i was gone for four days 
uh, Carolyn and Jocelyn went to Las Vegas to see my other daughter play in uh, a weekend volleyball tournament. There was some over, uh, there were some days where I w- ended up getting home and they were still gone. And I didn't see, I didn't see Jocelyn for a solid five days. And wow. she was, she ended up coming downstairs and, and finding me. And it, mm. it for anyone listening who doesn't have a, a child, particularly a teenage child, it's really hard to relate how impactful that is where your kid seeks you out mm. because your kid missed you. <laughs> yep. Yep. And the moment wasn't lost on me. You know, I, if she's willing to give me a hug, I'll take it every time. You know, at this point. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know those days are coming. Yeah. I just, I know that those days are coming when she's going to be a teenager and she's going to be like, I don't want anything to do with you. Um, and then again, it's a, it's a story of God, right. Of like, of, of us kind of thinking we got too big and we're going to go figure it out. And, and God is big enough for my doubt. God is big enough for my fear. He's big enough for my anger when I'm frustrated. Like, and that's just my hope for me is that like, I can be big enough for all those things for her. She can be angry at me and I'm like, it's okay. I still love you. And she could be just doubtful of whatever it is of, of my care or concern. And I can still say, I'm not mad at you. Like, I still love you. Like there's really nothing you could do that would take my, my love away from you. And I think the security of that, is is incredible yeah no doubt about it as we get close to wrapping up here sam you've had an amazing journey personally and professionally and professionally you you've are now having the opportunity to expand your reach into public speaking some awesome coaching opportunities seem to be on the horizon for you what are some lessons that you've learned through these recent experiences that uh, that you'd be willing to share. Yeah. Um, Steve Jobs said that when you are at the beginning of your life and you're like looking forward, it just looks like chaos and it's crazy. Um, but that like when you get a little ways into your journey that you can look back and see all the dots connect. Hmm. Um, and, and I don't know, I don't think he, I don't know if he knew the Lord or not, but I think for me, I look back and I can see all those dots connect. And, and I know that there was a hand in that. And it, and it kind of gives me peace uh, that I don't have to figure it all out. And that I'm along for this journey. And, and also like, just the, like the, the ability to look at my past and see all the hardships and say like, that stuff wasn't wasted that like all of that created this person that wants so desperately to help people and then wants so desperately to connect with people. And so like, I think it's, it's redeeming for all that pain to, to be like, Hey, it wasn't wasted. Like those hardships weren't wasted. And so, and then I guess the last thing is just to say, yes, like, I say yes to speaking engagements all the time. Am I scared? A hundred percent. Am I worried that I'm not good enough? Yes. Like there's always this like self doubt and fear that exists, but the only way for me to continue to grow is just to say yes. And just to step into it. That's awesome. That's awesome. 
I, I've had no doubt, especially after having seen you speak, I, I have no doubt that if you wanted to get on the public speaking circuit and make a go of it full time, there would be no shortage of opportunities. Uh, very impressive. And thank you so much for the wisdom and insights you've, you've provided today. Uh, I've, I've been asking this of my guests. I kind of put my guests on the spot a little bit to see if we want to uh, end the conversation with you saying a prayer. Would you be open to that? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Lord, I just thank you so much for Ed. I thank you so much that he's one of those dots that you connected my life to. And I just thank you for the work that he's doing. I pray that he would just have a massive impact on, on men and young people. And just ask that you would use our lives, God, to show people your love, to show people your care and concern and compassion for people. And I pray that when people walk away from a conversation or from a moment of meeting us, that they would feel that they would feel your heart in us and that we could be vessels for you. Just thank you so much for this time. I just, I pray for anyone listening who's gone through trauma, pray for anybody that's gone through hardship, that they wouldn't, they would just know that it's not wasted, that you never meant for us to just suffer tremendously like that, that you are with us. And I just pray that you would just bless them in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sam. We're going to have to schedule a time to get some co coffee soon. Yeah. I, I, I need to see that beard up close and personal. <laughs> I'm in. All right. Sounds good. Be well, my friend. God bless. Thank you. You can contact the show at itsnotmycredittotake.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless.